Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And long live the Zack Snyder Justice League cut in episode 217 today, March 25th, 2021. There is a metric ton to go over with this particular uh, movie review. And so we're just going to get right into it. We're going to have our topic of the day, which is the Zack Snyder Justice League movie review. There's even there's no need to even fast forward to it if you don't want to. Because we have nothing else to say. <laughs> the timestamp. <laughs> it starts, starts right now. now. <laughs> One little thing that um oh you know, a okay. little house cleaning. Oh, sure. We were going to go over our review of WandaVision this week. However, we have decided to flip-flop <laughs> that yeah. uh with the Justice League movie review. So Oops. this week movie review of justice league next week will be the wandavision season one review which you don't want to miss either and i'm sure steve has all kind of fun stuff that he's going to be talking about when it comes to actually you haven't watched all of it yet have you steve still has some homework to do on that one you stopped me i did i did i put the e-brake on that well not 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 yeah no you just put it in park i was gonna say you hadn't even taken it out of park yet (laughs) I had started to, I, I had watched it into like episode two. I'm like, this is, I'll hold my thought. Episode two. I was like, episode two. I'm like, this is, uh, I don't know, not my thing right now. Uh, I have more exciting stuff to do. And so then I started watching it again. I watched episode three and I'm like, oh, and I, I think there's nine episodes and I'm planning them out for the rest of the week going, okay, get out of work and uh, got a few things to do and I just, I'm going to put this out about 50 minutes a piece or less. So then I text him on and Tuesday. I say, hey, on Tuesday, you know what? Let's actually swap this around. So he's like, oh, good, because I was planning on binge watching all the episodes of WandaVision and everything else. So it works out. So you know what? It wasn't like you were like almost done with the season. There was no kind of e-breakage. Like I said, you were still in park, baby. I was not in park at all. <laughs> he was I in neutral. I had planned out the week <laughs> and I would have had it all watched come today. I bet you had a bunch of little WandaVision stickers on your little calendar, didn't you, Steve? I did. On your desk. I Mm. did. And you didn't share. You you did not share. I wore a Infinity Stone right here on my head. (laughs) All week. Your your sticky note uh, Infinity Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at myself in the mirror and get up. (gasps) Oh, right. Yeah. The sticky note WandaVision. I'll do that. Well, without further ado, let's get right into it. It's time for the topic of the day. of the day is the Zack Snyder Justice League movie review. We are going to do Snyder. Snyder, exactly. Good call there, mate. We are going to do what we always do on this program, which is offer our high-level spoiler-free thoughts of the film before going into the spoiler elevator and going down 
to spoiler territory where we give more of our detailed analysis of what we witnessed in the film. Steve, I'm excited about talking to you about this. Hmm. I have, as I mentioned earlier, a lot, a lot of morsels that I want to be able to uh, just permeate that bald, beautiful head of yours. Uh -huh. Do you want me to start? Do you want to start, Steve? Yeah, you just go right on ahead, Russ. You know, I, I'm you're you're brimming with it. I go ahead and <laughs> let it go. Oh, thank you, Steve. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, okay, first and foremost, I'm just gonna get this out of the way. The Zack Snyder cut is hands down better <laughs> by a mile, by ten miles. Like, oh my goodness, eleven it, miles. It's it's just <laughs> oh my. Uh, absolutely great character development mm. in this movie. Like if you looked at the original cut of Justice League that came out in 2017 to what we have today in 2021, I was absolutely just overjoyed with so much more attention to the characters like Flash, to Cyborg, to Steppenwolf, even some new characters that we'll get into later on mm. uh, that were not present in the original take of this film. Uh, uh, such, I mean, it, uh, we'll get more into that later on. Um, more backstory of significant plot points and items that were missing before that was like, oh my goodness, now we have purpose. This is fantastic. And uh, the DC ecosystem was on full display. Like, there were moments in this film that you and I have talked about in the past where like one of the issues that we've had with DC up until this point is how they can't really seem to like get the same type of um, mojo that Marvel has in terms of like, you know, how, how they've, they've been able to create and construct this huge Marvel ecosystem where all the characters coincide and cross over in each other's films and have just this living, breathing, organic world that they all live in. This film was one of those films where like, oh my goodness, we got glimpses of what the DC version of that could be like, which was awesome. Really, really, really cool. Um, I mean, one of the things that's, that's just crazy is that this film is just over four hours long. Four yeah. hours. The thing that's crazy about that is we were thinking it was probably gonna be like clocking in at three hours. Yeah, four hours with the credits <laughs> or something <laughs> with the Easter egg. Um, but I mean, it just absolutely like, I mean, I loved it. Like it was one of those things where like I could tell, like, like um, I ended up watching, I think like the first three hours one evening and then I finished up the final hour, kind of like what you did, I think, uh, on the, uh, the following evening. But my goodness, like I could have easily taken eight hours of that. It was, it was just, it was so well paced and all the characters in there were so properly represented that, yeah, I mean, I did feel it like by the time hour four came up, I was like, man, okay, this is, this is really involved. This is this, there's a lot of thought behind this, but I didn't want it to end either. I was like, man, like, like, well, so what's next? What's going to happen? Um, I think also, and this is, this is like no spoiler or anything like that, but, um, I think that this is a fascinating experiment 
with this type of scenario where we, as moviegoers, we haven't really been exposed to this type of, of situation where you have a film that came out a few years ago and there was this director who was absolutely passionate about trying to get his vision realized for a film really went to bat, had his producers also go to bat for him. And you had a movie studio that dumped an additional $70 million into the budget for him to be able to have his vision realized. And I feel like that's a, that's a, a very special thing because you just don't see that. And we've talked throughout our entire lives about how, there are these movies that come and and they're highly anticipated, right? Like we can't wait to see them. We're very excited to see them. And then they disappoint and we, you know, we're kind of left with like, what could have been, Oh, if they only did this, Oh, if they only fixed that. (laughs) And we have an example of that here, which is incredible because he literally went through and, and fixed just about every single type of issue that I know I had. I don't know if he did for you. We'll find out. But like, I mean, I was sitting there. I mean, it was, it was, it was this like euphoric, surreal experience where you're just like, man, what if like everybody had the chance to make, to make it right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Or you're going to, uh, was Josh Sweden? Is that what his name is? Josh Sweden. Josh, Josh. Josh. J-O-S-S. Josh from, yeah. from Sweden. No. No. And he's not made of wheat either. <laughs> Josh Sweden. Josh Wheaties. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> you know, if you're him right now, all your buddies are looking at you going, dude, your movie sucked. <laughs> Compared to this one, your version sucked, bro. <laughs> I think one of the, the, the interesting things, because I did think also about how, you know, when it comes to, to Joss, like, okay, Joss was the director of the Avengers movie, another phenomenal movie. Like that was like for, for us, that was like the golden age of comic book movies, right? The first time that, that we saw Loki uh, attacking earth with some of Thanos uh, soldiers and whatnot. And, Um, it was the first time that we had seen the Avengers fighting side by side together. That was a hallmark moment. You're just like, Oh my goodness, we have arrived. Like, this is the kind of thing that we would talk about as teenagers at the comic book store. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a movie like this? So, I mean, Joss Whedon's talent is not to be scoffed at at all because he does have a lot of skill and talent. But what's interesting in this type of scenario is how, you know, you think back to like how Zack Snyder, you know, he had had that awful family tragedy with his daughter, right? So he rightfully so, you know, excuses himself from the 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 production of the Justice League, which is this huge tentpole film, right? Like Warner Brothers has put a ton of money into this. And so then they're trying to think, okay, how can we keep this film on schedule and on budget? How can, how can we keep moving forward with this? Cause I mean, you have hundreds, if not thousands of people who are getting paychecks and are involved in certain capacities, everything else. Um, and so then all of a sudden they, they tap on Joss Whedon who was not a part of this from the beginning and was like, Hey, can you come in and um, finish what Jack or not Jack Zach uh, started and so, I mean, I kind of feel for him in that, in that regard, because it's like, he's coming in blind, right? Like, like he's, he hasn't been intimately involved with the project from day one. So then he's bringing in some of his, 
um, you know, tools and, and, and his like perspective on, on how to create these team-based comic book movies. And it just didn't work out when it came to justice league, you know? So yeah, like on the one hand, it's like his version just wasn't good. However, that's not to say that he's not a good director. I just think that in terms of, you know, it goes back to when you, when you're casting and this goes for, for both the actors as well as the crew, like, like you, especially when you have a certain type of direction you're heading or you're going to, there are just people who fit that particular direction better than others. The last thing I, I want to say, and then I'll, I'll turn over to you. Cause I'm, oh. I'm, I'm like diarrhea of the mouth over here. Steve. That's gross. <laughs> The IMAX ratio to me was a little odd at first, but honestly, I kind of got used to it after a while. Um, the it, it, IMAX ratio? I mean the aspect ratio? Well, it, it was the the IMAX. What did I say? You said IMAX yeah. ratio. So so the uh, yeah so the ratio that you see on your TV was aspect actually ratio. yeah yeah yeah. But it's it's the uh, yeah. I'm sorry. IMAX aspect ratio. So essentially he's taking what you get from the raw footage of IMAX film. And instead of, of reformatting it to 16 by nine, he just kept it in its original state. Which is kind of odd. I thought, yeah, like I, I mean, if, if I had a choice, I would have preferred to it be 16 by nine, just because that's just what I like. I like that more like panoramic uh, well, 16 by nine widescreen makes more sense to do it that way. Yeah, and, he, and I, remember, I remember reading something about how he felt that the verticality helped with some of the visuals because you have so many heroes that are flying or they're like wielding these like tridents or axes or whatever in this vertical motion and stuff. I, I mean, I could kind of get there and see it, but honestly, if if I was given the choice, I would have liked to have a 16 by 9 option. But that's just, you know, my opinion. Anyway. I have so much more to talk about, which I will save for now. Steve, I'm dying to know. What did you think of the Zack Snyder Justice League? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely better. Uh, I, I was thinking, man, this is pretty close. Not necessarily back to back, but I think first time in my recent memory where a movie has been remade in such, such a short amount of time. Um I mean, yeah, it's just like everyone went, yeah, we don't like that movie. Warner Brothers, do you see? We don't know what you're doing. Please do it. Make it right, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, from from head to toe, I, you know, there, there's still, still some stuff that I wasn't too crazy about. But um, I mean, this movie was memorable. The last one wasn't. And so from the music to the script to the pacing to the imagery, I mean, and there's a more stuff I was done right in this than not. Yeah. Um, and I got to thinking about how Wonder Woman is in this movie and how not good <laughs> I thought the last film was. And I went, where, is, where was this happening? Are we going to get a new, new Wonder Woman version? You know, like, this, uh, like well, what's happening? Cause she was terrific, huh? Uh, it was, she, and this one was rated R too. Yes. And I, that was funny because I, it didn't seem like it was rated R. Like they used a few. Oh, it wasn't necessarily body words. It, was, it but, wasn't necessarily the, the language that got it. Did you notice like how many dismembered bodies that yeah, but, Steppenwolf was? Uh, but again, it, I don't want to do any spoilers right now, but. But it wasn't like, it wasn't terrible. I mean. Um, <laughs> You're just desensitized well, to like the Lord violence. Of, Lord of the Rings was, wasn't rated R. And there was plenty of 
impalations and beheadings in Lord of the Rings. Were there? Yeah, Russ. I mean, I was thinking about some of the battle sequences and like, I mean, you see people get stuck with arrows and that sort of thing, but like, I never really... Their heads cut off and like just the... There was... uh, What's his name? Not not Lurch, but what was the Orukai's like the leader Orukai who got his he? I mean, his head got lopped off by uh, Strider. Yeah, but Aragorn, I mean, Aragorn. Yeah, but there's plenty of of orcs that. Did you see like elves' heads and human heads and stuff? Yeah. Oh man, I don't recall that. There's they're like in the two towers how they how they launched all those heads over to scare. Oh wait, no, that wasn't two towers. That was uh, that was <laughs> like, Return what? of the King. Um, remember how how they were trying to like. Uh, uh, put fear in, into the white army or the, the castle. Yes, um, yes. And so they, they catapulted all, all over these heads like they've been like just cut off and stuff. I mean, there's yeah, plenty of dismemberments, Russ. But, but was there a lot of blood though? That's the key. It's like if you see blood, that's kind of like a shoe-in for the r rating. I I mean, it wasn't a gore fest, but yeah. Like the only kind of blood I remember were like, orc blood or goblin blood, you know, like more of like kind of the fantasy blood. It wasn't like, you know, a human who's like totally. <laughs> Either way. I mean, rated, I'm, I'm glad they they left it rated R because that gives them a lot more freedom yeah. to do what they need to do to yeah. make it more comic book esque because the comics aren't clean by a long shot. I mean, the comics right. are pretty darn bloody. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm glad they did it. I, I could have, it sounds bad, but I, could have been a little bit more violent, I guess. <laughs> Steve's uh, in the mood for some gladiator. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve's in the, the audience. He's like... <laughs> doing the emperor thing. Which, by the way, uh, I think we learned that actually the little trivia for you, and, you know, in the movie Gladiator, you see the emperor, like, you know, he does this, which means, you know, you know kill him or whatever. Right. Apparently... Yes. In the old days, uh, actually, it was the opposite. If the emperor gave the thumbs up, it, I think it actually meant off with his head or kill him off or whatever. Or green light, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Any other high-level thoughts, Steve? Russ? No. Step with me into the spoiler elevator, Steve. I have a question for you. I don't have an answer. I think you do. My question to you, Steve, what other film can you think of that you would like, like if, if they gave you a choice of, hey, hmm. we, we, we're going to allow you to pick a movie for us to redo, we're going to give you a $70 million budget, and we're going to have the, the director who's on fire to, to make it right, what movie would that be? Oh, you're just going to pop that on me right now? It's a good question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, because we're a limited time, I'm going to say Wonder Woman 1984. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Thank you. What about you? I'm going to say I agree. I'm going I'm to pick Wonder Woman 1984. Absolutely. Well. We deserve it. Indeed we do. Okay, we have now entered the spoiler territory of our movie review. So if you haven't seen this version of the film, or if you just don't care... Go get HBO Max. 
Exactly. You can go to HBO Max, watch it, come back and resume it. Otherwise, you don't care. Well, we will continue as planned. If you don't care, neither do we. (laughs) (laughs) We care. Doesn't matter. Um, Okay. So much here, Steve. So much. Okay, go. <sighs> Where to begin here? Okay, so the the overall synopsis, just to kind of you know, okay, yeah, remind set, set everybody. The stage. So, uh, determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain. Huh? Which is from Batman versus Superman, and I don't think you've seen that yet, right? No, you said you saw it, you didn't like it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So. Bruce Wayne aligns uh, his forces with Diana Prince um, with plans to recruit a bunch of additional metahumans, right? Basically form this team uh, to protect the world from an approaching threat Mm -hmm. of catastrophic proportions. I think that's kind of like a a nice broad synopsis of what this film is about. Sure. And this is no surprise because the original iteration of this film came out in 2017. So everyone's kind of aware of that general premise. The haps. Okay. I'm going to go down my list here. I'm going to refer to it. Okay. I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Sure. Okay. I'm ready. So at the beginning, we see the death of Superman. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's in the arms of, um, Oh, what's that? I just told totally you. Oh, great. It's, uh, it's, uh, not, not abomination. It's, uh, it's a bad guy. Yeah. Oh, don't do that. Now, now you're making it worse. And he's, <laughs> he's really strong and ugly. Oh, uh, doomsday. That's his name. Oh, doomsday. Uh, anyway, so at the, so Batman versus Superman, what ends up happening is that, uh, do you, do you care if I kind of give you a little just, spoiler here? Just give it to me, Russ. Okay. Lex Luthor is in Batman versus Superman. Sure, yeah. He, and I won't tell you how this happens, but he is able to actually create Doomsday Okay. Uh, through some sort of horrific act and everything else. Doomsday is one of um, the, the pretty mean baddies in the super, Superman comic books. I figured. And so you see it in the movie where... Um, he ends up like, like Superman ends, ends up able to kill doomsday. And as well as, as doomsday takes out Superman. Right Yeah. So what's interesting is when I look at this particular film, if you think of the first theatrical version of this, that scene did not exist. Right. The first scene that we see instead was that kind of like cell phone, that kid like right. doing the cell phone video With of the Superman. Digital mustache going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that was a completely different tone that set the stage for that particular film versus this one, which is literally, I mean, it was, it was a Lord of the Rings moment where like, if, if you recall, like in, in the, the two towers film, Peter Jackson, picks up right where you basically leave off in fellowship of the ring. where like, I mean, Gandalf is still going to fisticuffs with the, I don't even know the Balrog, the Balrog. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Which is awesome because I mean, again, it's like there, there's no slow moment. It's like, Nope, we are going to just shove you right back into where we left off. It's like, Oh, you, you had a bathroom break. You, you got a little snack. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> so Tight, tighten up your seatbelts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> click, click. <laughs> and i think that that in in this situation um it's the same kind of deal where at the end of batman versus superman you kind of have this more uh really sad morbid situation because you realize oh my gosh like superman's dead and in this one 
you, you know, that they, they continue with that. I thought his death cry was haunting. Um, it was, it was the perfect way for this film to begin where Superman is the strongest hero of the justice league and to have him basically you know, he didn't necessarily sacrifice himself, but he kind of did. Okay. Um, but having those death cry shockwaves go out and basically like everyone on earth heard them, both good people and bad people and everything else. And then on having also, um, having it act as like this great teaser and replaces, um, uh, what we were talking about with, with the Superman with a cell phone, but like, it's, it acts as, as like this, this foreshadow and it actually gives purpose. It's not just for like dramatic effect of seeing Superman scream like that, but you, you see how his shockwaves awaken the mother boxes. Love it. Because at this point in time, you know, as someone who does, you know, I'm not a, a, a diehard Superman comic book reader. I like the, the character as a whole. But I'm I'm kind of more peripheral when it comes to Superman. I don't know all the like you know intricate ins and outs and that sort of thing. However, it doesn't matter because when you see this, you're like, oh, okay, that this can't is, be good. That can't be good at all. <laughs> what was what was also worth noting was that Lex Luthor at the end of Batman versus Superman was giving some kind of warning about how you know the God is dead kind of thing, and it also acts as foreshadow because. Lex Luthor was, was, was in Superman's down ship, learning all this information and everything else. And so there were things that he alluded to in Batman versus Superman that we are now seeing come to fruition. Basically. What did you think of the, the death screams? Um, you know, I, I thought at first it was haunting, like you said, but then it started droning on and on and on. I mean, I think it was like the first 15 minutes of the movie. It gets, you just it kept was on here. 15 oh! minutes. I mean, I mean that, and then the sound waves kept on going. I went, like, man, that's, that's really poor. That's quite the yell. And then it would show like one box waking up. And then, and then people would look around like, man. And then you hear, and then they hit underwater. And then you hear, and it kept on going. I'm like, okay, I get it. He's hurt. He's dying. <laughs> it kind of just kind of went a bit too long. Okay, well, I disagree. I think it was the perfect amount of time. I think it really set up the totality of him dying and how, again, he was kind of like a gatekeeper. He he kept certain evil forces at bay and in check. And with him getting killed in that regard, it was much more of a dire situation. And I, and again, it connected everybody in the world together, even though they weren't in the same place there was this event and, and not everybody knew what was going on. Like, they're just like, what was that? Um, and you know, more of a subconscious level that was really cool because it reinforces the notion, even in the real world about like how there are different events that transpire and we're all in it, whether we want to be or not. And it's, it's very interesting how much of a symbiotic relationship everyone has with each other. Even if you've never met most of the people in the world, the, the one of the big things I want to talk about is how you never underestimate the importance of backstory, functionality, and purpose in film. And this film totally had this in droves. I mean, 
the mother boxes, for example, in the first iteration of this film, we get no explanation at all. Like, I, I mean, don't remember the mother boxes existing. Honestly. I mean, the only, the only, like even Steppenwolf referred to them as mother in the first iteration. He never even said mother boxes. And so, and the only reason why I knew the name mother boxes is because I play injustice and injustice Two uh, on my Xbox. So, I mean, they have mother boxes in the game. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I kind of have an idea of what that is. Um, but anyway, they actually go into detail in this film explaining what the mother boxes are. We find out about Steppenwolf's purpose and his punishment, which I'll get to in a bit later. Again, suddenly he's fleshed out. He's no longer like this random alien that plops out of nowhere and he wants to really get that weird cube for some reason. I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> abstract anymore. It's like, oh my goodness, like now I, I have points of reference. Um you also have um, why Steppenwolf chose the nuclear facility. In the first version of the film, it's like, I kind of chalked it up as a viewer. I was like, oh, it's supposed to be like this kind of, uh, I don't know, dastardly place that looks kind of creepy. Oh, it's a nuclear facility. I wouldn't want to be there. You know, it, like, like that was kind of like the aesthetic that they just chose because it was a place that you wouldn't want to be at. And in this version, we realize how like, like due to the toxicity of the area that, that the, the creatures actually feed off that it, cr it creates more of a supportive ecosystem for them. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's really awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then another thing, which we'll, we'll talk to um, much more as we go along with this is the introduction of Dasad and dark side. Um, it completely introduces the idea that there is a bigger universe existing in the DCU. I was introduced to that with man of steel. I mean, he comes from a land far, far away. Yeah. And, and, and you're actually, that's a good point too, is that man of steel. Like that was one of the things that you and I both really liked about that film was the idea that like mankind was no longer alone and the film was really good at like, it wasn't just spoon feeding that to us, but it was more about like this, this undercurrent. Like again, Zach's is, is really one of his gifts is, is being able, like, like when, especially like when he's like in the zone like that, he's really good at that undercurrent subconscious kind of stuff where like, you can't quite explain or make out what's going on, but, but it's more of like a gut feeling or gut reaction to something where like in man of steel, like, like the first time that the humans meet with the, the Kryptonians and they have that really like tense, uh, kind of ex exchange of prisoners or something. And there wasn't, there's no shots fired, no fighting or whatever, but like that was probably one of my favorite scenes in that film because it reinforces that notion of we are not alone. There are other uh, beings and planets and stuff that exist in the universe. So I felt like that was th this was like another example of that. What did you think, Steve, about all that? Yeah. Um, Backstory, functionality, and purpose. So I was, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely relieved. I mean, from from the point when, I remember when when we watched the, the first one, the first version of this film. <laughs> and then Darkseed pops out of nowhere in the Amazon, and we're going, okay, he's a brute, and he's a thug, and there's nothing special about him, and why is he here, and all this, that, and the other. And then, yeah, I, I, I got to thinking, um, I mean, I, they have four hours to give us 
story and answers to all the questions that we have. And so, yes, I was definitely thankful that that, that they did it um, the way that they did. I, I'm glad that they took the time to uh, show the the backstory of I don't. I, Dasad, I guess it was. Yeah, or- so Dasad, it was one of Darkseid's lieutenants. He was the one that you right. saw kind of, they, he had that really cool uh, stone holographic <laughs> morphing thing. So you see him quite a bit before you see Darkseid. So the big baddie. Yeah. What's his name? Darkseid. Darkseid. And Dasad is one of his lieutenants. Like, did you notice how like there was like him and then there was that really tall blonde woman? Yes. Like you didn't see her very for very right. long, but she was there. Those are two of like kind of like his lieutenants in his army or whatever. <clears throat> gotcha. So but yeah, I mean so we got to see the backstory of them all fighting with Zeus and the humans and the Amazons and um we got to hear that story and then they were talking about I mean all this 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 that was actually some stories that that uh Diana's mom was telling her in different movies, and so I, I was very grateful for that. Um I didn't even know they were called mother boxes, but honestly, I thought, okay, there's probably no change in it because that's already in the DC, but I thought that name by itself was, <laughs> yeah, like that you couldn't come up with anything else. So there's these boxes. We got to call them something else besides the box. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that there are certain uh, naming conventions within the DC universe that probably could have been given a little more love. I mean, like, like if I'm being real, like Martian Manhunter is is just, um, I mean, I could totally seeing that as being like this little. <laughs> I could see a parody happening. Call me Martian Manhunter. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You and see the Bruce title w- come up. You Bruce know? Wayne goes. You want me to call you what? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm going to the papers with this. It's like a, it's like kind of <laughs> name that would be really popular in the fifties, but maybe not so much today. Man, yeah. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. And, and we'll, we'll just keep going forward because sure. I mean, it's all part of the lore. Yeah. So. There, yeah. Like I said, there's, there's no change in it. it is what it is. But I, I, since I didn't know the mother box existed in the first iteration and then they're like, Oh, I knew the mother box. Isn't it so serious? But the name is so terrible. I thought, okay, well, I get it, but cool. Mm. I have a bunch of of different places in the film that Zack Snyder ended up replacing uh, the stuff that Joss Whedon did, as well as well as brand new film or films, brand new sequences in the film. So we see Batman in the first version of the film fighting like one of those, I think they're called like perma demons or something like that. But in the, the Joss Whedon version, if you recall, remember he was fighting one on like the rooftops of Gotham or whatever. And he kind of used that, that other purse snatcher thug dude is kind of like bait. And he was able to take him out and like, like the green blood goo from the perma demon, like, splattered across like the the bricks on top of that roof and i think if i remember correctly there were even like there was like some sort of like visual in the blood that batman saw that i think was like maybe the mother boxes themselves or i don't know it was very subtle but but anyway he ends up replacing that and instead we have um uh, Bruce Wayne, we have like this, this extended sequence of Bruce Wayne and like in this Arctic area, I think it's like Iceland or something. And it actually helps to set more of a mature tone. And I'm so glad about that because that rooftop sequence was one of the cringe moments that I had when I saw the, ver- the first version of the film. I was like, ah, oh, man, I just, I wasn't feeling that. That wasn't the, 
uh, that wasn't something I was, I was really cool about, but instead that we, we see him going through he's, and he's clearly searching for Arthur who is Aquaman. Sure. Right. So again, there's just more time. Like, and, and we've talked recently about this, about how there are movies that we watch where, there's not enough time that's spent. Like for instance, we were talking about, I think it was Ryan, the last dragon about how they had all these different vistas that they wanted to go visit, but there wasn't enough time spent at each one of these vistas, at least enough for us to be immersed into the culture, immersed more into the environments and stuff. Just, just appreciate these different places that are exotic to us. And I thought that that's, that was just a, a really terrific example of, you know, you see him talking with Arthur, you see him talking to the townsfolk. And one of the things that I also had that was a bit of an issue from the first version of the film was when, when we got to that scene, it, it felt to me almost as like kind of a throwaway scene with the various like Icelandic villagers that were there. Like, like they, it was like, okay, you're, you know, I could totally see them being extras and like, okay, you're supposed to be like in this Arctic place and just, you know, you know look like you're cold and that's it. You know, <laughs> like it was like this obligatory <laughs> visual that had to be established so they could just kind of get through it versus this version where suddenly it's like, we get an entire um, song that is, is saying by the townsfolk, by, by the, the locals, once Aquaman goes back into the sea. And I was, again, I was glad that it wasn't just, okay, we're just going to go off to uh, the next scene or whatever, but they actually stayed and they were marinating in that environment just enough where suddenly I bought in. Right. I was like, he was really at this place. Like this place seems like a, perhaps it's Nordic or it's Icelandic. Like I said, um, that was something that I appreciated. what do you think? No, I, and I, that just goes along with, uh, you know, they have four hours. They got to, they got to slow it way down and give us more treats and, and uh, deep dip us deeper in the milk. Yes. <laughs> if I was an Oreo if cookie. I was an Oreo cookie. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I picked up on that too when we were watching it. Um, and the whole dialogue with that, uh, like the the governor or the mayor or whoever kind of, was yeah, like kind the, of like, like the, the town the town leader or whatever big guy, yeah. the elder, the yeah. elder. See if you if you had an Oreo cookie right now, you would have given me one. I'd given you half, the oh. half with the cream on it. Thank you. <laughs> would it be double stuff? No, nah, that's too much cream. Oh man, that's like the regular. Just about original. I'm you know? I am a fan of the double stuff myself. I feel like a double stuff since uh, I've gained the COVID calories. I feel your pain and your bloatation. Right. So no, yeah, that the whole dialogue with with him and Bruce Wayne. Um, even I have to even tell you about Aquaman's lines and his whole character, his whole demeanor was different in this one than it was. In it the last was, movie, which I was definitely grateful for. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, when, when you, one thing that I keep on saying when we talk about these comic book movies is I, I want them to take it seriously. Yeah. Because no one's looking through the comic going, Ooh, this is campy. I like it. Oh, <laughs> he's making stupid jokes. Oh, hey, that's great. They're going, Whoa, this guy is badass. Yeah. Now, and that's why that's, that's where you build your fandom. And so I don't want to see them take away from that in the movie. Yeah. And so, and I definitely felt that way with uh, the previous version. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that it was an absolute blast seeing Jason Momoa on screen again. And, and even with the, the original version of the film, like he was still badass in that, but I mean, even more so to your point, like he was much more serious and had just more of an air of accessible realism that I thought was, was great. I'm like, man, this is okay. I'm digging this. Like, yeah. Let's think, see what else we got. I think they took away that scene. Wasn't it in that last, uh, justice league where they're flying over to go where they're going to get to. And Aquaman is sitting on wonder woman's whip. He's like, ah, we're all going to die. You know, whatever sort of thing. Wasn't that that movie that, that, so that one was the original take. Right. And actually that is one of the very few scenes I <laughs> wish they kept because that was so well done. Like, like the film itself, especially the Zack Snyder version, it's a heavy film. I mean, you are watching this unfold for four hours and it is not a, a chipper movie. Like, like there's a lot of stuff going on and they're trying to figure out how they're going to be able to prevail in this type of situation. And I, you know, on the one hand, it's like, there were like most of like the moments of levity or comic relief that were removed. I was happy about, but that was the one scene that I personally actually really enjoy just because Jason Momoa did such a great job executing on that because again, he's such a badass. Like he's, he's like this burly man's man and he's stoic and he's, you know, he's, he's Aquaman, right? Like, like he's the, basically the ruler of, of the sea and everything else. And then, then to see him suddenly like go through this transformation, you're thinking, man, is he just like, is he having like a little breakdown? Like what's going on? Then he realizes he's sitting on, on the, uh, the lasso of truth. I, uh, for me, I, I wish it was still there. I appreciated that. Going over to um, the Wonder Woman, speaking of Wonder Woman, the bank fight sequence. So that was extended and changed a little bit. There was a moment where once all the fighting was done and Wonder Woman saves the day, how she actually speaks to a little girl who says something to the effect of like, I want to be just like you. Yeah. Can I be like you someday or something like that? Which I thought was really touching. I like that. I, I like how... And again, it's taking a moment to take inventory of the the set or the environment that you you are in. Wonder Woman is in this environment where there are hostages, right? I think in the first version of the film, it's like once she saved the day, that was kind of it and she left. And it was just like, you know, no, that would not happen in real life, especially when you see all of these these kids, these these, these young girls who are just kids and, and they're you know, terrified and out of their minds and everything else. And for her to go through and just check on everybody. Are you okay? You good? You know, that sort of thing. And then have like just that, that little brief moment with that girl. I like that. I thought the Wonder Woman action sequences were just wonderful. I mean, I, but one thing I'm going to be looking for if, and when they make the next one is if she does that, that kind of crab walkie thing that she does. Cause I, in the first movie and in the second movie, and in this movie, she does that where there's always some part where she's rescuing somebody and then she gets down on all fours and starts blocking bullets, but she's kind of squatting and turning when she's doing it. I don't know. It reminds me of a crab walk bullet dodger kind of thing. <laughs> but I'm no, I'm glad they took the time also with that one. The, I mean, just for 
seen how like, crazy these guys were. Like they're going to blow up the bank and kill a bunch of people just because they're terrorists and that's what they're going to do. And they were cool with dying. And uh, she had that moment with the guy uh, and she's like, why are you doing this? She's like, just going to do it mm-hmm. sort of thing, you know? And, and that's that. I mean, it was a longer sequence than that. It wasn't just like, you know, five seconds, but uh, even then, I mean, my wife and I were like, what a woman. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kick some ass. So cool. So pivoting over to Steppenwolf's arrival. So when he first arrives on the the, the Amazon island, basically, um, there are, are a number of different things. First of all, his armor has changed from the first one for the better. Do you agree? Yeah, the armor was awesome. The armor was really, really cool. I really loved how it, it was constantly kind of like pulsating and moving and like how like you'd have like these spikes that would suddenly come out as like a defense. Yeah. It was almost like this uh, reactionary chain mail. Yes, very much so. And the design of Steppenwolf was almost like kind of a hybrid of like a bull and a shark almost in a way. Like it was very interesting how his body type was, but it was like literally like if a bull could mate with a shark, it was like, because like you think of his mouth, for instance, right? Like his teeth and stuff, it was more of like shark-like. And then even like with some of his movements, the movements were also, um, when it came to like, you know, with the actual like hand on, hand-to-hand combat, had more of that that thrashing kind of movement that you'd see like a shark do, like if it was eating a, a sea otter or whatever, right? One thing I didn't understand. Oh, do you think that's how we could breathe underwater? because <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know they didn't explain that and all of a sudden like I thought that oh that that one cube's gonna be safe it's underwater you can't breathe underwater doesn't have gills he ain't Aquaman that is a good question we'll have to do some uh, online research to see if somebody has the answer for that because that is a good question it, you know I'm, I'm not sure um, he's an alien he's you know conqueror of many a world so you owe us 50,000 more worlds. I'm like, man, that's a lot. I know. I was sitting there. I'm like, I was going to be dead. And I'm like, like, a couple more worlds. You know, this is what it takes. Steppenwolf is like, oh, come on. (laughs) I'm on this one right now. I got two out of three mother boxes. Oh, good. I get to scratch one off. Now I have (laughs) 49,999 to go. Throw me a bone here, people. (laughs) I get it. I messed up, but in 50,000, a little bit extreme. I think we need to talk a little bit about how long I live. Cause I'm not sure I'm going to be able to kind of fill that quota. It's like, okay, I get it. You don't want me back. Fine. So <laughs> what, what, what are my options here? <laughs> so anyway, um, he battles against the, the Amazons. Again, that battle sequence was also updated and changed. And that was so much fun. Oh I my gosh, it was so good. in that scene. Yes. Amazon! And it, was like, it seemed like it was right out of like, um, like Spartans, except it was Amazons, yeah. and it was just as cool. I was just about to say the same exact yeah. thing. Like Zack Snyder, who directed the movie 300, he, in multiple points throughout this film, tapped into his 300 side and I applaud you for that good sir because that is exactly what this film needed and to see them were where they were the the leader said or the queen um says show him your fear yeah they're like like, we have no fear I was like (laughs) oh man that was so cool I got goosebumps come on 
come on. You'll be walking over here. You'll be limping back. <laughs> That's basically what that was. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be back. I, I, I need some more uh, cockroach permademon thingies. I'm going to drink a Gatorade before I come back. That's actually something worth noting too, is if you notice his face, like he was like, oh, like he was anticipating everybody to cower in fear. They didn't, which I love because again, the first iteration of this film was so one dimensional in terms of like, oh, I'm the bad guy, cower in fear. And everyone's like, ah, you're just like, wow, this is really <laughs> I'm bad, generic. I'm bad. And I mean, <laughs> I have no control over my appendages. <laughs> and I'm big and strong. <laughs> you just took the opportunity to show off your bicep. Didn't you? And you are weak. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because when they clearly were not afraid of him. They, I mean, they were ready to defend their home to the death. Did you, did you catch that moment where it cuts back to his face and he kind of had this like, Oh <laughs> yeah, I did actually catch I mean, that. It was very brief, but like, I, I'm glad that they put that in there because again, it adds more maturity to his character because again, evil uh, characters also can have like, Oh crap moments. You know, they, they can realize certain things that are going on that are not in their favor. And that makes them not necessarily relatable per se, but it makes them more realistic, more tangible because suddenly it's like, okay, this, this antagonist has depth, right? Anyway, really, really cool. Yes. One of the other things worth mentioning is during that fight, I loved how he had all those arrows that were in his armor and he flexes and, like, and he goes, mm. you're just like <laughs> crap. Yeah. Well, I, it was, it was kind of a combination between the word crap and cool. Like I'm sitting there like cruel, cruel. <laughs> cruel. Yeah. I, I thought that was uh, like a boss. <laughs> That's what that was. The extended scene of Diana going into the ruins after the flaming arrow was shot by the queen to, to warn her of what was going on, that was completely new. Yeah. And again, it provided a, a much needed exposition and foreshadow as to what, what the heck was going on. Because again, most people who are going to see this film, you know, they're not versed in all of the, the DC comic books. Right. And, and that's, that's not necessarily uh, uh, any fault of anyone's, but you know, when you're, yeah, it is. when you're watching the movie though, you've got to keep that in mind. And it was so cool because one of my favorite methods of storytelling is when you look at history and you look at like cave drawings, right. Or you look at like, hieroglyphs from like the Egyptians or whatever. It's so cool because they tell a story in a visual format. That's really, really basic, but actually on the surface, on the surface itself, it's basic. But then if you actually study it, you're like, wow, this is saying a lot. And there is actually a message that's in there as well. It's not just like, well, we started here and we populated the earth and then something awful happened. Like, like there, there are all these, these tales that are told there are, are these kind of like warnings for future generations and stuff. I thought it was a very, uh, tactful way, but also a shrewd way 
to be able to, to get through some ex, some much needed exposition as it applies to the, like the ancient war against dark side. That was actually the first glimpse that we get of the character dark side in a very basic form. Again, really cool. Cause you see like this, 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 this more uh, basic version of him visually, but it's enough where you're like, Ooh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> and, um, and just the, the overall like ancient hieroglyphic storytelling especially when it involves Diana because she's so old. I mean, she's like what? 5,000 years old or something. 5,000. And it was just fantastic because also like her day job kind of thing is, you know, she, she deals with uh, the restoration of all these ancient artifacts and she knows how to speak all these different languages. I mean, it it just fit. It was, it was so naturally organic. I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. May I have some more? (laughs) What'd you think? No, yeah, absolutely. And it kind of goes back to, um, you know, this movie was four hours, but if they they needed more movies like before this movie, I think, because the reason why it was so long is because they had a lot to explain. Sure. And I think if they had more time to have other movies leading up to this, yeah, we would have seen a lot more of this happening instead of having one movie to be four hours to explain all the backstory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's part of where the where Marvel is stronger is that they, they took more time to have each character have their own movie, develop the character, knock the timer over. <laughs> I told you once, I'll tell you again. And, uh, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Glad it's not made out of glass. <laughs> like dealing with a man, baby, toddler over here. <laughs> so, uh, and that was one of my complaints with the previous version is that, like, you know, they 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 didn't show us the backstory. They they were introducing too many characters too quickly, and we had a brand new story, a brand new enemy, brand new you know good guys, brand new bad guys, and we just had to deal with it all in like two hours or three hours or however long it was, and it was just way too much. So, um, yeah, I mean, plus it goes back to with, uh, that, that previous battle, um, with Zeus and all the, and the humans and everything like that. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. Well, and, and let's segue into that. So we see, well, it first starts out with Diana talking to Bruce Wayne, I think like at his, not necessarily the back cave, but something equivalent to that. Cause he's working on that, that yeah, airship, right. that drop ship or whatever. So she's narrating, which again, yeah, I will totally listen to Gal Gadot tell us some sort of uh, historical story that took place. I mean, her voice is so awesome. And you have this ancient war sequence with humans, Atlanteans, mythical Greek gods like Zeus and Ares, um, who, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, they still use the actor's likeness with the mustache from the original Wonder Woman movie. He like Like, they took his facial likeness and applied it. He looks a bit more burly in this yeah, version. I, I was looking for it, but I did <laughs> miss it. I did miss the mustache, but I looked too quickly and then like had to get a glass of water or something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very fleeting, but it's in there. I'm like, okay, well, I, sure. sure we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. Artemis was in there as well. That was the, the woman with the, the bow and arrow where like her arm would like charge up and stuff. Oh, and right, she's right. Like, yeah. It was like magic arrows. Yeah. 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 That was a really good sound effect there. Was. Oh, thank you, Steve. Um, hey, side question real quick. You were mentioning Bruce Wayne working on that like drop ship looking thing. Mm-hmm. Where did that thing come from? That come from like the previous movie where like the Batman versus Superman or what? It did not. They did make a reference as to where they got it started in the movie. But honestly, I don't remember what the quote was. But 
but he was talking to Alfred about it and somehow like the people he hired, I think couldn't get everything to work. Right. So then Bruce just kind of took it upon himself to try and get it any, and even he couldn't get it to work. If you recall, cyborg is the one who finished the job basically on that. Anyway, going back to the ancient war sequence with, with all these crazy characters. I mean, you see like an older green lantern fighter. I don't even know who that person yeah. is, but I'm like, it's a green lantern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I told that to my wife. I'm like, oh, it's a lantern. She's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was super cool. Though. I mean, you see him flying around using the, his ring and you, you know, the, the, you have the green lantern core. I mean, they have, I don't even know how many that, that lan- exist. And it, died the green lantern died well, you saw it, the ring like well and that was crazy too because dark side i mean it was kind of like you know the, the ring chooses its its next yeah. master right and you see it like almost come up to dark side dark side kind of smirks and he's about to get it and then artemis like shoots him in the shoulder with an arrow or something and so right. the ring goes Pew! but i mean talk about a dread filled moment where i mean i'm in my chair i'm like oh don't <laughs> no 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 don't do that like oh so that's what happened, I guess. No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Okay, good. <laughs> the, the entire sequence itself, it was like a mashup between the movie 300 and like Lord of the Rings. It was like, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring when they, when they were giving their like, you know, ancient war storytelling sequence where you had all the humans and the elves against the orcs and everything else and Sauron. It was like that or like Return of the King when you had all these different alliances coming in and and, and fighting together to, to rid the world of all the evil and stuff. I mean, I it, it was it was the thing of freaking beauty to see <laughs> that war go on and seeing these different characters that, again, may not have necessarily gotten their own standalone film, but you see them make cameos and it doesn't matter. It's like a hair like floating around. Yeah, you know, it happens. <laughs> It's out of my ear. It's like this long. He's like, oh, my ear. And the Amazon warriors were also there. Uh, and then they were, they were just representing just the whole thing. The whole sequence. I mean, Zeus was, was just bad. I mean, total. I mean, he looked like he was, um, the, the King Leonidas, Leonidas brother. Yeah. I mean, well, the first time I saw him, I was like, is that like Leonidas? No, it's not. But I don't care. That's awesome. <laughs> and he's sitting there, he's like, <laughs> and then you see like the 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 king of Atlantis come in with his trident, and he's just like, <laughs> you see this huge like area of effect damage going. I mean, <sighs> I'm getting awful clamped over here. My my geek meter is going up to a hundred. Okay, this is awesome. And I don't even know like like these characters uh, very intimately. I mean, I, I'm a big, huge Batman fan when it comes to the DC universe, but I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs, all these other characters. And as I'm watching this film, I'm like, dude, I want to read these comic books now because there is a whole lot of give me some more. Yes, please. May I have another when it comes to these types of sequences? And it was awesome because you see Darkseid fighting in there trying to do his thing. And then you, like, I think it was Ares with the huge axe where, like, he comes in and, like, almost, like, does what Thor did to Thanos where it's like, like, it almost, like, takes off his arm over here. And, like, I mean, again, it's like that was such a payoff. It was a visual payoff. And it wasn't even the final battle at all. It was like, oh, 
Let me tell you about a story that happened many years ago. Gather yeah. around the fire. <laughs> What'd you think? <laughs> We've been talking about it for the last 10 minutes, right? It was freaking awesome. Well, I feel like I'm like really like, I, th- I think you have much more to say about it. I think you were moved more than I was. I, th- I thought it was. You were satisfied a- with that, that, that battle though, Steve? Yes. Yes, Russ. Just want to confirm. Just want to confirm, Steve. Moving on from that, because we keep talking. Was there anything else you want to talk about? about the, the no, career? I was going to ask you what you thought about Batman, but I know you've got a plethora of questions right here waiting for me. <laughs> we'll get to Batman in I'm sure we will. So another thing that is worth noting, and this is something that I'm very passionate about um, as being a, a fan of storytelling, um, is you never underestimate meaningful character development. I cannot stress that enough. When you have characters that are are front and center that are supposed to be like your protagonists or antagonists, it doesn't matter. You cannot overlook the importance of that. And we noticed how in the first iteration of Justice League, you had characters like Flash, a.k.a. Barry Allen. Uh, You also had Cyborg, which um, is Victor Stone. You had um, Steppenwolf. And you had others like uh, Martian Manhunter and whatnot who didn't even exist in the first version. But the, the the I think the biggest crimes were the Flash, Cyborg, and Steppenwolf because there just wasn't any kind of attempt to really give them more of a reason for being there. And I made a, I made a list of each for each one of these characters, like the Flash, for instance. We learned about Barry's average day uh, in his life. And, and what his relationship really is with his dad. Because in the first film, like you see a brief scene of him, you know, talking to him on, on the jail phone, right? That's really about it. But you don't really understand or know even about like how Barry's kind of struggling through his day-to-day life, how he's not sure how to move forward. He, he's, he clearly wants to make his dad proud. He clearly wants to try and bail his dad out. But he's socially awkward. He's, he's just trying to figure out how he's, how he's going to kind of make it throughout each day. And he saves, um, you know, we, we see him like, for instance, as he's trying to like put his pieces life together, everything else, he's trying to apply for a job, right? Everyone can relate to that. And so he, um, he, he bypasses this really cute girl as he's um, going into the pet shop, if you recall, and they have kind of a little brief moment together. And then it's just really hilarious how like he's talking to the owner of the pet shop and his resume is like all ripped up and like bent. And I mean, Ezra Miller's execution on this performance was, I thought was just divine. It was, it was so funny, but again, you know, you see how like this girl that then he had, he had just this brief kind of interaction with going through the door, um, get into this car accident with the semi truck and everything else. And we get to see Barry Allen do his superpowers, not in his costume, but like he's in his civilian clothes. He's like just the average person. Right. And I loved how, like when he spun around to save her, how like his shoes ripped open and just because, I mean, when you move that quick, like shoes can't handle that sort of thing. Right. And then like threads and stuff, yeah. watching him run barefoot. And then like, even like when he's trying to stop and how like the asphalt is like completely disintegrating and shattering and stuff around his feet and everything else. Again, it's this, this kind of like slice of life for someone like Barry Allen that we got to witness. And it was so cool. And I did some research on this. 
That girl that he saved is Iris West, who is the wife of Barry Allen in the comics and is the aunt to the third flash called Wally West. So there's significance to this whole thing. And she goes on and says she's a reporter uh, for the central city news outlet picture news. Anyway, thank you. (laughs) Right now. Now we have a, we have a much more um, tangible relationship as a, as an audience with this particular character. Um, we learn about how he has a rule to never go faster than the speed of light. Okay. Well, clearly there's something there, right? We need to know what's going on. That acts as foreshadow throughout the film, because clearly he's going to have to break. You're going to have to break your one rule. (laughs) Um, he calls running fast his speed force. I don't know if you caught that or not. Um, and the ending is truly epic where all hope is lost and we'll talk more about the ending later on, but I mean, like, talk about a proper <laughs> ending. I mean, like, like if you think of the ending from the first film, I mean, remember how we, we turned to each other, I think, in the theater, and we're like, what is happening That's here? That's it? Like, weird, well, yeah. that was a lame last battle. You know, you watch this, and I'm just like, oh, oh. <laughs> Like I was, I watched it by myself and I was like looking around like, did you see that? (laughs) No. What about you back there? All right. Am I the only one in the studio? Oh yeah, yeah, I am. Anyway. Could you turn it down? (laughs) Yeah. You woke the kid up, idiot. My bad. But that was really cool. It really was. But, you know, the ending forces him to break his one rule and we get to see him um, literally tap into his time travel abilities. Again, love how they, they, they just, they doled it out. They didn't rush it. They didn't even like go into it like crazy or anything like that. They just gave a bit of it. And, and I am totally on board. Like I'm like, give me a flash movie. I want a standalone flash movie yesterday as a result of this. And I want to have the storytelling continue where it's not just like, Oh, look at these cool effects and everything else. I want that exposition. I want to, to be able to really get to know who Barry Allen is. And part of, you know, he has a little bit of that kind of uh, neurotic quirkiness about him, you know, and I think that that is appropriate given the fact that like, you know, as his character matures and he kind of gets settled into being this, this, this superhero known as flash in the comics. I mean, he does a fair amount. I would even argue quite a bit of time travel. That's going to mess with your head because he's always trying to fix things in the past and the future. Cause he's, because he's trying to like get a certain like uh, timeline in a way that doesn't end in some sort of like, you know, total catastrophe or, or like, you know, the end of, of earth or whatever. And to not go too far off the reservation and digress too much. Like we haven't even talked about the multiverse that exists in DC. Like there is a very real and um, present uh, multiverse that exists. It's, it's very similar to like, you know, Marvel has something like an equivalent to that. But Barry and some of the other characters who play as the Flash are um, almost like custodians or gatekeepers in a way because 
as certain storylines are progressing, maybe like he'll cross over into one of the other dimensions of the multiverse. And then he's meeting up with like other like versions of himself. And then something else gets messed up and he has to do stuff. Crosses between Netflix and HBO max. Hey, Hey, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're me, but I'm you. You're a different actor. I, I'm doing something really cool over here. I Just actually, you know. you know what? I think Ezra made a cameo on a recent episode of the flash. Cause they have that. I think it's an on it's either. I want to say Netflix. It's either Netflix or Amazon Prime. But he actually met up with the the Netflix version of The Flash because they had one of those moments, which I thought, ah, <laughs> very nice. Anyway, I'll stop right there because I can keep talking about that. Going over to Cyborg. This is a major success story of the film because the first iteration of the film we don't really get to know Victor at all. I mean, like nothing like you see him be able to transform himself into some really cool weapons and he could fly a bit and that, and that sort of thing. But I mean, he was really in the background and this iteration, he is front and center. I mean, he is a pivotal character for how the story plays out. And it's not even like, Oh, it's a mandatory thing based off his skill set. Like, no, like even, the backstory of him as a person and the character arc that you see throughout this film. I'm rooting for him the entire way. Were you? Yeah, I was. And and you mentioned earlier, you, you wanted a, a flash movie and that goes back again that they should have, I, I I think even think they should have held off releasing the, that, the Zack Snyder version of this movie until they gave us a full flash movie and a full cyborg movie mm. because they still went. I mean, even if you take out those stories, those little bits that they gave us with both characters in this movie, if you need to take that away, the movie's still great. I mean, it's still a very, very good movie. Yeah. But we still want that full exposition of an entire movie like Superman or Batman, you know, whoever. And so, yes, we got some of the backstory. And I guess, you know, maybe they, they gave him about... I don't know. I didn't time it, but I'm probably about 45 minutes ish about, you know, maybe an hour to Well, what's to nice is that they sprinkled it continuously throughout the film. I mean, we see him as a football player in high school or college. I think it was college. And we get introduced to his mom. Right. His mom didn't even exist. I don't think in the first iteration we've really, we find out she's a doctor and right. that, that there's like this kind of like uh, a little bit of a dysfunctional family dynamic going on where the dad is clearly that engrossed work. in his career and, and he's not, he's a, he's not a present father for the kind of the, the, the moments that matter kind right. of thing. We see the, uh, the fateful car crash that ends up killing his mother and, and, and maiming causes him. him. Yeah. Just totally maiming him. Yeah. Um, but I found myself asking like, okay, well, where did Barry get his, his abilities? Because it wasn't from his dad or at least not that we know of. I mean, his dad doesn't, doesn't even uh, bring that up in, in prison or you, we, they don't give us any sort of clues or messages about, uh, you know, other abilities in the family. You just, they just say, Hey, it's you, Barry Allen is cool. This is what he does and moving on. And so, I mean, I'll, I definitely take it. Because it's cool, but I definitely want more of that that backstory. And who knows when we're going to get a Barry Allen uh, movie? Yeah, I mean, we could watch it on another streaming service, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's not like a Warner Brothers DC movie, right? It's not an origin story. But with that sequence, though, when he saves that girl when when the from the after he applies at the pet store or whatever that mm -hmm. dog walking service. Yeah. That was also another part where I think they took a 
bit too long. Like they had a bunch of the cool sequences. I mean, when he rushes out and his his clothes can't hold up with going the speed of light, and you know he's not quite. He's not going quite. Yeah, the speed no, of light. No, 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 I'm he's going really fast. Hundred percent cotton. You know, <laughs> going through so much. Like my uh, lightning arms. <laughs> And you know he pokes through the glass. Oh, and the glass, that was like, so cool! Like, I love how like, I love how it almost like bends first before he, it, it shatters. Yeah. So you had all these <laughs> cool moments, and then like he locks eyes with her, and there was definitely some some cool romantic stuff going on. But chemistry, yeah. Also, a scene that took too long because it showed him, and then her, and him getting a little closer to her. And then him like brushing her hair aside, and then him getting a little bit closer, and then it, and then it took just too long. I thought, okay, I get it. He's moving really fast, and they have to slow it down for us to understand that he's yes, he is moving fast, and yes, it, it, there is a moment. But I got what they were trying to do, and I was like, okay, move it on a little bit. You know, not that I mean, I'm, I know I'm probably nitpicking a little bit, but I started to see that happen again and again, like throughout the movie, where they did take advantage of that four hours and. Some st- some scenes were definitely stretched like just a bit too much. I mean, maybe like by a hair, but like honestly, I I I've appreciated them spending the time that they did in those different types of sequences. Like I didn't feel like I was looking at my watch or thinking like, oh, this is kind of awkwardly too long. And and, and what was funny about that sequence too was like I loved how like you know at first it's like the whole like oh like like he he likes her kind of thing. And then he sees the hot dog. He's like, hey, he takes the hot dog. I mean, again, it's it, it's so indicative of the persona they created for Barry Allen, which is great. It's like, yeah, like like he would do that. That's, that's a lot of fun. They did change up. Like they did take out his running uh-huh. from the last one. We're all look, looking at each other in the theater going, that's how they're going to portray him running the speed of light. <laughs> yeah, I'm going really fast. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, so I did like how they slowed it down and showed the effect of, yeah, he's moving really quick. This is not going to be entertaining if we show him just going, you know, so this is how we're going to do it. But so good on them. Going back to Cyborg, um, one of the other things that I thought was really cool is that we get to discover that his body was, in fact, the Cyborg body was created by one of the mother boxes. Right. And that reinforced the notion that these things, they're not just there to be evil. They're actually kind of like neutral in a way because they kind of do whatever the opposite of what happened is going on. So like, you know, if you like got maimed, it's going to regenerate your body the best way it knows how versus like, Oh, you have a perfectly working planet. We'll just destroy it. Like, so, so you could see how like, Oh, it really depends on the user, like who in, in whose hands these mother boxes will, will reside in. That's where a lot of these, these decisions get made. And so I, I really like that too, because now it's like, Oh wow. Like cyborg now becomes a key element to the mother boxes because 95% of his body now was, was generating created by this, this very thing. And so naturally there's gotta be some kind of interactivity with it. There's gotta be some sort of like affinity. I didn't grasp the entire idea or concept of what the mother boxes did or were like, if you compare the mother boxes to the infinity stones, you know that each stone represents something, right? And the person who wields all the stones, well, they have a ton of abilities, then they can 
make the universe, the entire universe a very good or bad place to live. Mm-hmm. But you knew what each stone represented. The mother boxes, they were kind of alive and they kind of weren't, they didn't have like a, you know, alive in the sense that they had a personality or something, but then when they synchronized, something was going to happen. But I wasn't clear, maybe you picked it up, but I w- wasn't clear of what was going to happen once they synchronize uh, to the extent of the damage or the catastrophe that would transpire um, and why. Uh, and we, we were told that if Cyborg, you know, plugs into them and, and, and is able to to desynchronize, mm-hmm. that the, the boxes are going to figure out his weak spots and try to attack that. Um, but why, why would they do that? You know, I, there's a bunch of just whys. I didn't, I didn't pick up on what was the, how they got, you know, manifested or what their reason for being was and what they do. And, you know, I just kind of felt myself in guessing land going, okay, well, maybe this is why, maybe it's the other reason or, uh, I'll just go with it, whatever. So they did in the film, they did talk about how the mother boxes themselves are this, this very advanced ancient technology. Right. And how to many species and civilizations, like they would interpret it as being magic, right? Because it was so advanced. But there is a logic to them. There, they are basically these instruments. Like I was saying earlier, like like you can, if you know how to manipulate them correctly, then you can get them to do certain things, cause certain things that are really amazing or really terrifying. And again, it depends on who's wielding it. Right. And one of the things I'm not hundred percent on is I don't know if like every planet has their own mother boxes or if those mother boxes. I think at least when we watch the ancient war take place, we saw those three wizardy looking alien guys coming out of the ship with the mother boxes. So I think like, they got them from somewhere else or something like that. And I don't know if like, because dark side lost that war that I guess like the boxes ended up staying there instead of going back with them. And so dark side's like really been interested in reobtaining them. So again, I'm not an expert in this. We'll have to do some research or, or talk to a friend who like is an expert in this whole thing. But <laughs> anyway, going back to cyborg, you keep T-boning my cyborg thing. I'm sorry. One of the other things about Cyborg that I really appreciated was how they made it a point to showcase what his what other abilities he has because we know that he has the ability to transform his his appendages and stuff into these crazy weapons. But what about other types of abilities? And they go into talking about how he has the ability, like if he wanted to hack in to all of the, the, the nuclear armories around the world and completely decimate everything. He could do that if he wanted to, if he wanted to, to manipulate wall street and and the banking institutions, he could do that too. And there was a, a really poignant scene where you see him kind of exploring that as his dad is, is warning him. Like, you know, it's not so much about like, you know, what you can do as it is, you know, you have to be mindful of not doing those things that you know are possible that you can do. And during that time, you see him kind of stumble upon this uh, this one woman. She's uh, a waitress. She doesn't have very much money. I think she had maybe like, I don't know, $25, maybe even less than that in her bank account. She's a very benevolent person. He's able to, to see like, like all these different good deeds. She's a good mother, all this stuff. So then he hooks her up 
um, because she needs help because she looks like she's like, she may be kind of getting evicted or something. We're not quite sure. So there, there is this, this whole other dimension that goes on where it's like, wow. Okay. It's not just, he's not just some sort of military weapon. He actually has access to all this different stuff that really was glossed over in the first film. Like, like I think the only kind of indication that we got from the first film was when Gal Gadot was looking around, you know, as, as uh, Diana and like it's cyborg that hacks into Bruce Wayne's computer and says, you know, meet me here right now. Like that was, that remained the same from, from uh, both movies. Watching his father sacrifice himself just as their relationship was starting to heal. Huge. You know, we never saw his, his dad do that in the first movie. I don't even know what happened to his dad. Well, I don't remember. You mean in this film? In the other one. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure either. I, I don't, I don't recall. But in this one, though, I mean, talk about you, you, you see this estranged relationship between father and son, and you see how the father has been attempting to reach out to his son to make amends, and his son wants nothing to do with him. He lost his mom. He was never there during, like, the, the special times that meant a lot to him. I mean, he, he's got a bone to pick with his dad, and we see how throughout the film how they, they have this... Um, kind of uh, this, this time of, of healing to the point where like now there's like this respect between the two of them. There's this love again between father and son and he ends up sacrificing himself in order to, to heat up that particular mother box to create almost like a, a natural tracker beacon. So they know where this base is. And again, the actor who played the dad, I mean, you talked about in the, the, uh, the previous film when we did a, a, a movie review in 2017 of the first one, you were talking about how like he's from Terminator two, how he's he from Skynet. Yeah. He's, he, he fits really nicely into this world, you know, and he, he is in fact, uh, just a really like, I love watching his facial performance. Like, like, I mean, when he was in there and he knew what he was doing and, and you see, um, Victor, who's like realizing what his dad's doing and he's freaking out. And the look on, on his dad's face is just nothing but pure love. He can act. He, he does a lot of um, that emotional um, nonverbal expression acting with, yeah. his, with his face. And I think he does very well with, with like the pitch in his voice because he, he can sound very authoritative, but he can also sound very calming. Yeah. Like very calming. Oh, and even in Terminator 2, I mean, you see him, I, he is freaked out. Yeah. 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 Really great actor. You see Cyborg um, in the film later on. He is key to dismantling the mother boxes. And we saw that to a certain extent in the first film, but it really, it didn't drive the point home. It's like, no, like we can't do this without Cyborg. This is, this is a, a very big deal. And while he's going through all that, he has that deadly premonition, right? Where like, um, earth is getting destroyed. Wonder woman is dead. She has those, like those coins on her eyes. Um, dark side is stabbing Aquaman. There's a, a black suited Superman, um, in the back cave holding some sort of charred remains. I don't know if that's supposed to be Lois Lane or if it's supposed to be Batman. I right. don't even know. Um, uh, but you do see a, like a pissed off Superman holding Batman's cowl with a dead green lantern in the foreground, a portrait of Thomas Wayne in the rubble, Diana's shield, Aquaman's trident stick in there. 
Um, even like the the little truce card that Joker gave, you know, you, you see it ripped and it's flying by and stuff. Really haunting imagery. And you're thinking, wait, is this just an illusion? Is this a preview of things to come? What the heck is going on? But because he had that, it suddenly, again, is yet another reason why his character has such purpose in this film. And I just love it. I just, I, I, it's like, yeah, like, of course he's going to have something like that. I mean, the dude's dialed into the three mother boxes. <laughs> well, I thought every character, um, I, I, at first I was thinking, oh, this is all going to be about Superman. And then I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I had Barry Allen. I mean, they really need Barry Allen. And then the, another part, I'm like, man, they really need Cyborg. You know, so it seemed like every character had like their moment of, yeah. well, thank goodness we have you here to do the, you know, job X. Except for Batman. Well, Batman. it's very true because the they did showcase their value much better in this film. Because again, like even like the Flash, for instance, right? Like in the first iteration, it was like, oh, I just kind of pushed people out of the way. And like throughout the rest of the film, you're like, you know, you. I remember liking the fact that he wasn't like all the like this, this trained fighter like Wonder Woman or. Uh, Aquaman or Batman or Superman, you know, again, it's nice to have a variety, but what else um, is in his skill set that makes him of use or has value? And again, at the end of this movie, both Flash and Cyborg are the two that if they weren't there, everybody screwed. And it was phenomenal because I think the expectation is always, oh, we're going to get to the end battle and like, you know, Superman will save the day right. or, you know, it'll be Wonder Woman, Batman and Superman, you know, kind of like the, 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 the Trinity of, of the main superhero, the triple A or a class heroes or whatever. Right. And everybody else is just going to be background. And I loved how that got flipped to the point where like, yeah, like they were also doing stuff that was very important but to have there there be enough thoughtfulness to really bring these two characters that were, let's be real, overlooked in the first iteration, bring them more into the fold and everything else, I thought it was genius. Steppenwolf. So we've talked a bit about him already, but we learned that he's a disgraced general. This is awesome. This is one of those things where, like, again, backstory, character yeah. development. He's not just a one-dimensional, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> you know, like, you realize, like, oh, wow, like, this alien has a past. Why do you want to destroy everything? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Has anybody ever told you you have a serious impulse control problem? This is counterproductive. Don't destroy worlds. Bad. <laughs> anger management. Yeah, anger management. Hashtag. Yeah. Anyway, I love the fact that we did get a glimpse into some of his backstory where like he has this relationship that is not hunky dory with Darkseid or Desaad or anyone else. Like, I mean, and he, we even see him complain to Desaad saying, listen, like, does it really have to be like this? And Desaad was like, you are here because of your self pride, your self pride puts you there and, and you be like betrayed, you know, Darkseid, yada, yada. Oh, come on. On. Well, and I loved how he was, you know, he was pleading. He was trying to do like a plea bargain, but like, he was just like, look, you know, I've learned my lesson. I've taken out those that have taken on uh, the throne of dark side, yada, yada. But again, this is the good stuff. This is the kind of stuff where suddenly it's like, oh, now we understand his motivation. He's not just like, oh, I'm going to destroy a world. What's up? Yeah. Like you're you like, no, meaning. like 
he doesn't even necessarily want to destroy Earth. Like, that's the thing. He's doing it out of necessity. You're just like, fan-freaking-tastic. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to have when you're telling a story because, like, you know, if I were to compare him to, say, someone like Thanos, Thanos has a completely different motivation, doesn't he? He's a mad titan. He is driven by his passion to try and right the wrongs and all the, the, the horrible situations of the universe by eliminating half the civilization and lives of, of the universe, which is horrible, that's completely different than someone who literally is serving a sentence. Like, this dude is a POS on his own alien world. He got busted, and now he has to try and make amends by going through and taking out 50,000 worlds. It's like, be even more of a POS. But, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's one of those situations where you're like, oh, wow. Okay. It's, it, it, this, is, this, this changes things, right? He, um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's attempting, uh, not only that, he's attempting to earn his way back home because he can't go home. Like he's literally, he has been exiled from his home and this is his way of trying to regain favor with dark side to come back home. This is great. This is not a protagonist. This is a villain. And there are certain details here that I can relate to on some level where it's like, you know, obviously I'm not a destroyer of worlds and I think the law, everything he's doing is bad, but it's like, Oh, he is fallible. He made a mistake. He made a bad decision that cost him. Now his decision <laughs> has really cost him a whole lot more than say someone like you or I were like, you know, for instance, like if I decided to sleep in an extra 30 minutes, now I'm paying for it. Cause I'm late to, you know, getting my daughter to school on time or something. Eh, it's a little bit lower on the, uh, the gauge. Anyway, he also, we find is the, we find out that he's the one who actually controls the pair of demons. If you notice that was his army, right? That was not necessarily dark side and controlling all of them. Like that was kind of more his deal. Although we did see what appeared to be more pair of demons in the realm of dark side. Pair of demons look like, those beings from God of War, like little a little bit fairy fairy men or cockroach men, fairy yeah cockroach men, except they have like bows and staffs and swords, and these other ones have guns, laser guns, oh, alien something guns. kind of guns, some kind laser of plasma grenade launchers, something. <laughs> Another thing that we've already talked about, but I think it's worth driving home the point on is that he answers the dark side. When I think of the Avengers movie, right? Up until that point, like, like we see Loki as kind of the main bad guy, right? But if you think about the lead up to the final battle in the Avengers movie, we see how Loki has been introduced to Thanos, right? He's on that kind of rocky planet thing, right? And even Thanos has a lieutenant that's there with like all like the like eight fingers or whatever, you know? And there is kind of a similar parallel in the sense where like Loki doesn't necessarily owe Thanos anything, but Loki identifies that Thanos is no one to be trifled with. And, th and because Loki has his own delusions of grandeur because he wants to get back at like his brother and everything else, like he goes down this completely awful path. But the point is, is that a hierarchy has been established 
which is super cool between you have people who you think are like the main baddies and suddenly you're like, Oh no, you're kind of middle of the road. There's like all, all these other people that exist and maybe people that we don't even know yet that exist. This was a, a big strength. I feel like in this film, because now it's no longer about Steppenwolf, which we had a problem with in the first film. We're like, where does he come from? Like, what's he doing here? What, what, why does he look goofy? Like, what's, what's the deal? Now we see, oh, there's Desaad. There's um, Dark Side. There's, there's some of these other folks as well. What do you think about that, Steve? I, it seems like we're hitting on the same points kind of repeatedly. I mean, it, it, I, I am picking up everything that you're you're throwing down with, the characters and the backstory and the, and the imagery and the time that they're telling all this, the story. And I, I, I get it. You Russ. agree? I agree, yes. Let us move on. Martian Manhunter. Oh, jeez. Now, what I think is really cool about the, this particular character is I did not feel like they shoehorned this character into the movie at all. Like, if you, if you think about it, the character barely had any screen time at all. Right. But the, t- but the amount that he was on screen was great. And I think it's fantastic because it sets up yet another character who, as we all know, in the comics, he is a member of the Justice League. He's actually quite powerful. I think he's he's almost as powerful as Superman. And he acted as a conduit almost to a much bigger and broader DCU, right. right? It symbolizes how there are in fact other heroes out there. And I love how like, like for instance at the end, like when he's talking to Bruce Wayne and he's introducing himself and everything else that essentially symbolizes how the, the deeds and the acts of the justice league, like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman the, that, that transpired at that time in, is it's it's literally inspiring other meta humans to come forward and say, I want to make a difference too. I want to help. And I think that's a, a really beautiful thing, but it's got to make you ask and or wonder uh, how much of Superman's foster mother, I guess you could say, did he play Martha? Yeah. I don't think he played her very much at all. I think what he did was he, he turned into Martha for just that visit to Lois, to, Lois. to get her to stay because Mar- uh, Martian Manhunter, what to go out? Well, he 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 knew that she was the key to Superman, right? But she but he didn't want her to stay inside. He she he she meaning he <laughs> wanted her to go out because she needed to be there at the right time, right. to convince Superman not to kill everybody and right. Yeah, remember. So it. there was like this kind of like gentle little push, but I mean, I don't think it's like oh, like the entire time like Superman's been hugging on his stepmom. <laughs> it's like oh, it's I'm actually getting chummy with Martian Manhunter. <laughs> Martian Manhunter. Another another quick note um, yeah, is sure. that yes, go ahead. Yeah. Harry Lennox, who is the actor for Martian Manhunter, if you recall, he was also the general in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Yeah, the guy again, like tremendous actor. He was in the Second Matrix, also. You're right. He was mm. very true. Thank you. Not an easy thing to try and pull off a character like. Martian Manhunter. But again, it reminds me of Jason Momoa. Like you, you, you cast these people correctly and Jason Momoa can single-handedly take on the mantle of Aquaman that let's be real. 
for decades was sneered at or made fun of or whatever. And suddenly you see who is Aquaman and all those people instantaneously (laughs) went, Oh, I was just playing over there. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, he made Aquaman awesome. By the way, they changed his armor in this one. Whose? Aquaman's Ross. Well, it's because this film takes place before the standalone Aquaman film. If you recall in the Aquaman film, he he starts out with that same armor from this film, and then he gets the official Aquaman armor by the end of the standalone Aquaman film. I don't remember. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, Let's see here, Steve. There's a new scene showing alien scouts dragging Atlantean citizens from the ocean. Yeah, that was terrible. And we see this, this this like mechanized crab looking thing. I looked it up. It's called Starro, which apparently is a mechanized parasite hive mind that's found in DC Comics that can read memories. So that sure. that was a yeah, thing to that there. Pick that up, yeah. Snyder extended the Bruce Wayne and Barry Allen driving away from Barry's lair. I remember that, yeah. And then uh, Mercedes did, concept car. Yeah. Did you uh, did you see the billboard that they drove by? No, but I think my my wife commented on it. It said, you are not alone. Right. That is an official slogan of a suicide prevention organization that exists um, in the United States. And I think that that was kind of a, I don't know, like like the subtle thing because his his daughter, unfortunately, I think uh, committed suicide. And uh, I'm trying to remember what what it's like. It's AFSP. I know the SP stands for suicide prevention. I think it's like American something or other. I can't remember what exactly what it is, but again, I thought it was really nice to be able to put something like that in there because that, that is something that is to be taken very seriously and that it, the messaging could not be more true in the sense that you are in fact not alone when, if you are in that type of mindset. Um, so I thought that was a, a really touching, just a little add in there. We see, okay, another thing that's really cool, we see Alfred make new Batman gauntlets able to absorb Kryptonian energy. This totally sets up a different encounter with Superman. We haven't even talked about the updated battle sequence when Superman is resurrected and he doesn't know who, where he is or what's going on or what else. What'd you think? That's what I thought too. I'm like, I don't remember. I mean, like... Like I keep on saying, the first iteration was totally forgettable. I, I I really don't. I remember the scene when when Barry runs around and Superman's able to kind of like look at him. You know, like, I love I can, that. Yeah, I think that um, was, that was still in this one. That was still in this one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he has the the gauntlets and he's able to to you know fend off uh, Superman a little bit. One thing I I wish they put in there was, uh, someone should have come forward and said, hey, like hey, Cal. What's up? You're back. Okay. We got to explain a couple of things to you, uh, you know, because they all just kind of stood against him, all like landed, looked at him with mean scowls on their face. Not like we're going to kick your butt, but almost like, okay, we're here. We're they, armored. Well, the, we're big bath. We're, we're big buff, bad people. Not, you know, they, they, were, they were wary because again, I mean, put, if you put yourself in their shoes, they literally just witnessed someone coming back from the dead. I get that. So, so I mean, not and not only is it a person, it's Superman, right? I get that, but I mean, they're they're superheroes, and so they've seen a lot of stuff. 
Uh, I'm just saying, I think that was reason as to, I mean, I, I understood. I got it. I mean, if I was there, I'd be, I'd be doing the same thing. Kind of like, okay, is he, is he good? Is he normal? Like, if he's not normal, then this is going to turn really sour. But the first thing you do is, is show that you're, you don't mean any harm. And so when you, you appear and you look scary and you got, guns and you got swords and you got, you know, whatever. And you don't know these faces because you're just trying to figure out like you were in a very dark place, not be able to see much. And all of a sudden now you see everything and you're figuring out, you definitely want people to be nice to you. Hey, you know, considering what's going on. Hello. You know. Well, they didn't know. Him. Here's the other thing too. So Aquaman <laughs> flash and cyborg have never been introduced to Superman. They don't. They don't know him on a, on a personal level. Now, right now, Wonder Woman was briefly introduced to Superman and, and Batman versus Superman because she makes a cameo in that film. But even that was really brief. So it's not like like if you came back from the dead, I'd give you a big hug because you're my brother. Like, oh, what's going on? You know, like like to them, it's like okay, I have heard the tales of Superman, and we're hoping that like he's going to be like how he was. Like we hope he hasn't gone off the deep end. We have no idea what we're dealing with here. We are in uncharted territory. And I think that there's kind of a moment of kind of like, like a pregnant pause of being stunned almost. Cause you're just like, wow. Okay. Like, first of all, we're seeing him for the first time. We just watched him get resurrected for the first time. And now like we're trying to like feel him out basically. Yeah. And I, there was somebody, I forgot who it was, but because I literally just finished the movie tonight. Um, <laughs> there was somebody who said uh, something about Lois Lane where uh, he Superman recognizes Lois because, of course, you know, he's got some feelings for her, a little bit proposed. Uh, but also someone else, that, that same person said that Lois was the first person who was not trying to do him harm. Mm. And so that's why also he keyed on like getting away from laser shooting Batman to like, oh, I'll stop because you're an innocent person not trying to hurt me and therefore I don't want to hurt you. And so, and, and I can, and I keyed on that before that line was even there because they all looked relatively menacing and I'm trying to figure it out what's going on. And so, I mean, it's interesting to hear your version of it because I got, I totally got a different perspective. No, that's totally fair. Uh, I, one of the things I, I also liked about that particular fight was how they, um, they changed up when like Batman comes out and how Superman deals with Batman. Cause if you, if you recall, he picks up Batman kind of like by his face in the first one. And he does say a line that I thought was pretty cool in the, in the older movie, which was, you won't let me live and you won't let me die. You know, like, and, he, and you can tell, like, he's just so mad at Batman. I mean, he could just crush his face right there if he wanted to. And Batman had told Alfred to bring out the big guns and Lois Lane was the big guns, right? So when she comes out, then all of a sudden he sees her and he forgets, forgets about Batman and, you know, tosses him like a rag doll. In this version, you don't hear anything about, like, bring out the big guns or anything like that. It's like she just happens to be there because, if you recall, she was going to his memorial site one last time. Right. And when you see 
him going after Batman, he doesn't pick him up at all, but he's using his eye beams. I mean, he's trying to fry Batman. And luckily he has those gauntlets. And again, it's just great because you know, you see them in action, but like you see how like one of them gets too hot and he has to rip it off and he only has one left and stuff that um, I thought was really cool. Like there, and even the, some of the fighting sequences that that led up to that were extended as well. So I thought, okay, thumbs up for me on that. One of the lines that I did like that that was added was Alfred says something about like all the King's horses or something like that. But in there he talks about, he says, you know, if you can't charge the bull, then don't wave the red cape at it. Right. And I thought that was a really clever way of, of, of a play on words, but I think it really means a lot. There was a lot of weight behind that. There is a new, there's new footage of Lois Lane at her apartment before Superman gets resurrected, where she's still mourning the loss of Superman. And you find out that she's pregnant. Like, like she's taken like the, the little pregnancy test stuff and everything else. And super baby, even, even at the end of the film, I think Bruce Wayne congratulates Clark. Cause you see her carrying in what appears to be kind of like a little like baby basket, like a little bassinet thingy. I don't know if you caught that. I, I caught the the fact that, you know, she had the pregnancy test. Uh, I didn't see the, the bassinet. Okay. There's new footage of Clark walking through his spaceship. Did you catch that toward the end? You know, he's barefoot. Yes. He's walking through and he's hearing the voices of both his biological right. father as well as uh, his stepdad. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I did too. Like it was a complete return to Man of Steel. And you and I both really cherish that film. Like that was, that was such a great movie um great father son type of, of dynamics that are there and i loved how they again they took the time right you know it, it wasn't like it wasn't like like oh i'm just going to come here and grab my my effects and then take off you know again he's immersing us into this place that quite honestly i mean we we've kind of like ran into on a couple of occasions, did what we needed to do and everything else, and then ran back out. But like it, it transformed what was kind of a hostile environment, um, or at the very least, like an unpredictable environment, to one of home, to familiarity, to finding his core, his center, his you know, his, being at peace. And I thought that was really cool because it was just a, a poignant, reflective moment. And the flight sequence, if you recall, when he dons the the black suit, that flight sequence was like exactly the same as if you recall a Man of Steel. Like I when, do. When he first takes off and you see his fist on the ground, you see the like the pebbles and stuff start to levitate and everything else. Love that because again, it's like it's it's it's, it's like this poetry. It's like like it, it comes full circle back around, and that stuff wasn't in the first movie. I did some research too about the black suit. Cause I was thinking, okay, is this just like, you know, Ooh, is, you know, a new skin, a new aesthetic, you know, is this just to make it, you know, get people talking. The black suit is actually a nod to the black suit. Superman wore in the comic books after his resurrection in the comic books. And this suit isn't just for looks. It's designed for healing, absorbing solar energy, which is why we see him soaking up the sunlight. Like he's out in outer space and he's doing this because he needs to charge gotcha. up. It's like, there's your logic. There's your explanation. Oh my goodness. Everything is intertwined. It's amazing when these things come together. Life is so much better when you tie the knots. <laughs> Instead of leaving your laces, just 
out in the open for you to trip on all the time. Wondering why does that not, mm. not, not it. Mm. I get knotted up just thinking about it. I know. New sequence. Bruce Wayne is telling Diana about his vision he had, um, which you, I know you haven't seen Batman versus Superman, but in that film, there was this moment where he actually has this vision of um, the Flash coming to him. You can't quite tell what's going on, but he's uh, t- uh, apparently trying to warn Bruce. In fact, Barry even says, am I in the, is this the wrong time? I'm not sure. Like, like he, he's, he's not, he's kind of yelling and he's in this weird dimensional state and stuff like that. So he ends up talking to wonder woman saying, man, like, cause he was sitting in that same chair and he's like, I saw Barry, right. If you recall, he's like, I saw him appear to me right there. Um, and, uh, he, he, he just figured it like it was in fact a sign. It wasn't by happenstance. He didn't dream it up, but like, it was actually kind of more of a premonition of darker things to come. Um, and that directly ties into the epilogue sequence of the dream state that, that Bruce Wayne has with him as Batman and having this weird ragtag group of people in this like desolate wasteland. It's like post-apocalyptic world and Joker is working with them and everything. So let's, let's talk about that sequence for a moment. What did you think of, uh, Jared Leto? I was actually hoping they would have Joaquin Phoenix there. I, I mean, I I heard through the grapevine that they were they were going to put Jared Leto uh, as a you know small scene, and I thought that's fine. But I thought how how cool would it have been if we saw Joaquin Phoenix there as the Joker? That would have been awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I was trying to put the pieces together with that whole post-apocalyptic. What are we doing here? Who's angry at what? Why? What's happening? And then that whole sequence with Joker, I think that again was another scene. Yes, it was the epilogue, but that took way too long where Batman's looking at Joker and then Joker's looking at Batman and then he's like, ah, and then he's giving him the card and then, I don't know. I didn't want it to be quick, but I thought they just took it way too long. Like, I get it. Just, okay, let's move on. And I, I didn't think, I thought Jared Leto, was trying a bit too hard, like with the Joker laugh. Like he just couldn't laugh like the Joker. He was like forcing a cackle, which didn't seem. He was trying to go for more of like a sickly cackle. Yeah, or something. It just, that didn't work for me whatsoever. After, uh, after hearing Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger and Walking Phoenix that all did their own versions that all worked. And then Jared Little goes, ha <laughs> ha. I'm like, no, that, that doesn't work. That's not going to be me. I don't know about that. (laughs) I actually really liked his performance on it because it was, again, it's his take on the Joker. It was different. I actually liked it more than what he did in suicide squad. I, I didn't really care too much for what I saw in suicide squad in this version though. I was really digging the performance and the dream state is such where it's, it's a lucid state, right? Like you don't know what's real. What's not. Is this just a dream? Is this a premonition? Is this foreshadowing in terms of like what could happen in future installments of standalone DC films, as well as like the sequel to justice league? You know, it's like they're, they're flirting with all these possibilities. And again, 
I think it is wonderful that they and that they included this because again, that that's part of good storytelling. Is like you don't want to like come to the end and be like, and they lived happily ever after. Clunk the end. Like you want to be able to give a wink and a nod about certain things that hey, you know what? If we want to go there, we could go there. And that particular epilogue where you see the sequence where Superman is unhinged. We don't know what is going on, what has caused him to be this way. But basically what I took from it was like Superman went AWOL and the world is totally devastated. And you have these unlikely allies like the Joker's working with Batman and everything else. I mean, you see like Mara or whatever the, the yeah, Mara. Yeah. Yeah, from uh, from Atlantis, who's out of the water with them, and everybody's got a bone to pick with Superman or whatever. And then you see Superman come, and you're just like, "Man, this is uh, frightening in a, a comic book kind of way." Well, then you like, and and your injustice game doesn't like. I don't want to say the, I don't name the baddie wrong, but I want to say it's Brainiac. Yes, doesn't he like possess Superman at some point? <sighs> Kinda, and Brainiac is a uh, you know another villain that I don't think that they've explored in the Zack Snyder uh, World of Justice League. Which I mean, again, even playing in Justice Two and seeing Brainiac in there, he's a a, a cool villain. I mean, I, I think that would be <laughs> that'd be pretty swell to see him uh, come into the fold. But I think it was, you know, it, it's easy to like all of a sudden just kind of look at it and get confused and think, wait, why is Batman wearing like a weird brown trench coat? And why are we in this weird deserty kind of state? And why is he holding guns? Because he doesn't use guns and that sort of thing. But if you take a step back and you just let it flow, then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like there are all these different types of avenues that they could take. Maybe they won't but that's part of the fun of having an open-ended cliffhanger, right? Like an open-ended story is like, okay, maybe this is an alternate reality, right? Maybe there's something that has not transpired yet that will. I mean, this is why I am just so fascinated by the Back to the Future trilogy. As a kid and even today as an adult is like, the notion that like certain things are set in motion and how like if you have the ability to to time travel, how you can really make a mess of things. You can also fix certain things, but that it's amazing how you have that butterfly effect go on. So did you catch what he uh, said about Batman adopting the boy wonder? Yeah. And him being dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, cool. So good. So good, Russ. There is another new scene that I think is worth talking about too briefly, which is the scene where Superman actually visits Alfred. Like Alfred is by himself. Right. And you see him come together and, and they have this civil discourse between the two of them. I mean, it's literally like the two gentlemen in the world of DC have a moment to just kind of chat, have a gentleman's chat. There's, there's no, uh, you know, secret uh, agenda. agenda. Yeah, there's no secret agenda or anything else like that. And, and I found it very refreshing. It was like, wow, like once this is all over with, I could totally see Clark and, and uh, Alfred hanging out, you know, a little spot. Hello, Master Kent. Um, 
Well, Alfred doesn't really have anything to prove. He, his family, his everything is Bruce Wayne. And so he doesn't have any abilities. He's the guy behind the scenes. And so he is not a threat. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not going to say he's a neutral party, but I mean, he doesn't put, he's not going to tell Superman to do anything and he's not going to change anybody's plans. And so Clark has no other reason to be anything other than civil with him. Yeah. Did you like that scene? Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Okay. It was fine. Okay. I liked how I, I liked how. Alfred I mean, I didn't expect that scene to exist. To be honest, I mean, I figured like, oh, Superman's going to go and he's going to join up with the others and yada yada yada. But like, just being able to like, it wasn't like Bruce Wayne was there with Alfred and Superman comes or whatever. It's like literally like Alfred's just kind of you know hanging out at the little. Uh, I don't know, home away from home kind of place. And, and, and Superman kind of shows up and it's not like Alfred's like, what are you doing here? You know, he's, he's not afraid or anything They're They're just, they have this, this normal conversation. It's like, huh, that was like I said earlier, that was refreshing. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you, you got to figure that Alfred knows all the plans. And so once everybody leaves, Alfred's got nothing to do but sip $500 wine. Cognac. Yeah, so I shall wait upon their arrival and just sip this. Oh, wait, do you want me to control the bat wing? Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) I am so DUI. Um, (laughs) So, but he would, he would know the plans. And I mean, there were sequences where Bruce Wayne was like, yeah, Superman's got to be there and he'll show up. He will definitely show up. So he's mentioned him quite a bit. So the fact that he does show up after Bruce Wayne's already said that, I, I would figure that they w- he wouldn't act too surprised. Before I forget, I have to tell you about that woman who's like the lieutenant of Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Her name is Granny Goodness. So if you thought Motherbox was a little... I mean, I I, I'm, I'm just going to put that out there for you. DC has some issues naming stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of the soundtrack? The soundtrack was wonderful. Uh, as I said in the beginning, that was definitely memorable. When Superman was on screen, you got little hints of like his theme music, but very subtle. And then, of course, when Wonder Woman was taken center stage, you got you got her theme music playing. And yes, I, and it wasn't like they played it you know, hundred percent fully loud. Like this is, this is just all wonder woman all the time right now or all Superman. They just, they had it mostly in the background, but they had it tied in to maybe some original scoring or at least um, like the transition points were, were original scoring, but into the other theme music, I thought it was very, very well done. Yeah. Tom Holkenborg, who has worked with Hans Zimmer in the past was responsible for the, the new soundtrack. And that was surprising because Danny Elfman did the soundtrack to the original Avengers film. And there were, there were parts of it that I appreciated at the time when I saw, or I should say rather hear um, his efforts when it came to that. However, I totally prefer this over what Elfman did in the first uh, iteration of the film in terms of the more of like the music inspired by there is one song that I wish Snyder left in, which is when you see Aquaman like drinking that bottle of whiskey or whatever, and he's going down the dock toward the huge crashing waves. They play in the new version, a song is called there is a kingdom. Um, and it, it, it replaced 
Icky Thump by the White Stripes, which was in the first one where it's like that, that much more kind of punk rock. You know, and he's like drinking his thing and he like smashes, he litters. Oh, right, 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 right. Littering in the ocean. Yeah, literally in the ocean. You're like, I can just be like, it's so funny because I'm so conflicted with that. We're like, on the one hand, it's so badass. I mean, like, it's so Jason Momoa. He's sitting there, he's like, and then he like, he like smashes the thing and then he puts his arms out for no reason. He's just like, <laughs> come at me, bro. Uh, but by bro, I mean waves. Yeah, then you see the waves crash. I'm like, okay, that was such a great visual spectacle, but no shame, shame, don't litter in the ocean. Anyway, I, th- I think that was totally unintended. I think it was kind of like one of those things where like after they did it, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that probably <laughs> doesn't translate too well. The, a side scene, somebody is going to be on the beach one day and then cut their foot on a, like a, a shard of glass from Jack Daniels bottle or something like, oh, how'd this get here? Well, you have Aquaman to thank for that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ruined my vacation. Why, Aquaman? Why? Concluding thoughts, Steve. Well, Russ, and rating, if you please. One thing they didn't fix in the movie, they, well, they, they tried to patch it up as best they could, but they couldn't fix Batfleck. And even, and that was the weakest link of the entire movie. Agreed. And so I, 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 I'm probably going to hear from Brad. Brad! Our good old friend Brad. Every time he's on screen, he, whoever cast him as Bat, I would have taken George Clooney. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I, w- I would. I would totally not have gone that I far. I would still take George Clooney over Batfleck. Blasphemy, I say. Oh, man. I I cannot stand when he's on screen. He does not personify Bruce Wayne, Batman whatsoever. Wrong body type, wrong voice, wrong everything. And then mixed with his lines were just kind of so-so throughout the whole movie. And he really didn't do that much special of anything really um and so to me every time he was on screen it was a disappointment which is a letdown mm. i if, if you see the nolan batman films which is pretty much what we would last have and then we have these films it's a complete letdown i mean i would have i and, and that's enough goes to another reason of why i would have liked this film to be Pushed out later. Yeah, still do it. Still remake the movie, but but do some recasting. Give us a Flash movie and a Cyborg movie, and then re-release this one. Re-re-re-re-release it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that that affects my rating because I wanted to like him more than than the first iteration of Justice League, and I wanted to love him, and... Um, well, and, and you know, just to dovetail off of what you're talking about, it's not like you don't like Ben Affleck as an actor. I think that you, there are other roles that he has been in yeah, that absolutely. you're a big fan of. I think in this instance, it's just that the, there was a casting choice that, you know, I think it's fair to say, like we both wish that Christian Bale, for instance, could have reprised his role. Like, like if, if Warner brothers were to like give Christian Bale a blank check and be like, Hey, whatever the number you come up with, we want you to, to retain your role as Batman. 
Um, I think that I can speak for myself. I would have loved to have seen Christian Bale shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the crew. And also, I mean, Batman was basically gadget boy in this, in this film. Yeah. Um, Batman does no cool fighting. He's shooting guns and he does the occasional punch and the kick, but he's not doing any sort of martial arts or, or nothing. And he's just kind of in the right place at the right time where he has some zinger lines and, and that's really it. So throughout the rest of the movie, there you have cool parts for the rest of the actors in the cast, but for Batman, it's always a letdown. So, um, so there was that. Um, for the most part, I did enjoy it. It was a welcome relief. There is definitely more to like than dislike with it, but I, being that Batman as a special character in the in the Marvel or Marvel. My bad. <laughs> and the DC Where's universe. the bar of soap? <laughs> um, no, I don't have bad breath. <laughs> a positive. Why is he blowing bubbles? <laughs> anyway. Well, that was good. So, so with some of the pacing being off with, with the scenes taking a little bit longer, um, and plus Batman being in there, um, those definitely knocked it down a couple notches. Uh, the music was great. They, I had no problems. I mean, the only problem I had was like scheduling conflicts. Otherwise, I yes, I would have sat there for the full freaking four hours. Yeah, absolutely no problem. I mean, I had to. I really had. To, I had a bunch of stuff going on this week, and I really had to be concerned with the time. Otherwise, it didn't really seem like four hours at all. Um, and so I am. Glad they took the time that they did. I just think a few nitpicky scenes where I, I was going, okay, I got it. Come on, let's go. But the music, I mean, there was, I, I, I couldn't believe I was getting goosebumps and the scenes with the, with the Amazons and, you know, going back in history. And I, I mean, with, with it being rated R, they had so much more freedom to do what they wanted to get it, more of that comic book feel. It felt darker. It felt more serious. And that's stuff that I was wanting. Um, I would say my rating of the movie would be, um, I would say three and a half stars, three and a half stars. You know, what I did today was I ended up listening to our podcast episode of the initial review of the justice league theatrical film. And this took place in 2017 at the time you gave that film two stars and I had given it 2.5 stars. So it was interesting to go back and be reminded of where we were at with all of that. I think it is terrific that after three years of Snyder working on his cut, um, that we, the audience are treated to being entertained by a creative who actually listened to the fan feedback implemented a lot. I would say, I would even argue most of what the fans were asking for and were disappointed in by the first theatrical film and having a studio like Warner brothers be willing to not only add an additional $70 million. Again, the, to my knowledge, this is not, going to be released in theaters. This is only on HBO max. So I don't even know how they're recouping their cost on this, but also 
to give Zack Snyder the creative freedom to do a lot. Like, I don't think they, they, they let him do everything he wanted to do, but I do think they gave him a lot of space and it has paid off in dividends. And it's amazing because, um, this could have, this could have been a total train wreck. You know, even when we were looking at the movie trailer, train wreck number two, <laughs> but we were, I mean, we were looking at the, at the little movie trailer that they, they put out there. And I was even saying, I'm like, man, you know, at least we have the Joss Whedon version that came out already had major issues. We didn't really care for it. We're not sure how this one's going to turn out. I, I, I mean, it, it's, I love times like these where I'm proven wrong. Like it's, it's these instances where like I was kind of having a feeling like the movie would, would go a certain way and I was totally and completely wrong. And I love it. I'm, I'm relieved that I was wrong about it. I thought the acting, um, honestly, the acting was superb. Like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Ben Affleck, um, notwithstanding, I think everybody else had just phenomenal performances. I mean, like there were these, these moments where they they were riveting and I got goosebumps too. I, I got totally engrossed into the moment. Um, like you were saying that the, the soundtrack was, was terrific as well. I mean, even the ending, like, like, I remember watching the, the theatrical version of this film and being so let down by the anticlimactic battle sequence that took place and what a 180 degree turnaround. We're like, like we see like, like when they, when they're trying to get like resurrect Superman, for instance, that's the first kind of instance we, we notice how like when Barry is going and he's, um, uh, trying to generate like an electrical current to like get the, the timing right and everything else. If you notice, like that was, I think that was like when um, Victor, AKA cyborg was having like one of those premonitions. Cause he was connected to that particular mother box. And there was a bit of a failure that was going on where like Barry didn't know if he was supposed to go or not go. And if you recall in the first version of the film, Barry just kind of went and he was able to touch it at the right moment. It generated the current and then Superman came up. Well, in this instance, it was like, he messed up. Like, I think Barry was kind of like, he kind of stumbled or something he too. Got shot. Um, well, well, and I'm, not, I'm not even talking about the end in. I'm talking about like when they're in Superman's ship and they're trying to resurrect Superman, there's something goes wrong. But then because he's making up for it, we realize if you notice like, cause like the mother box had already touched the water, but then all of a sudden the time starts reversing back just a bit. And I don't even know if Barry meant for that to happen, but because he had to compensate for like the oopsie daisy, we get that first glimpse and it's like, Ooh, man, it took something that, that was kind of like a whatever kind of scene, like, like, Oh, like the thing that was driving, it was like, Oh, we're going to resurrect Superman. But then to see how like these things could have gone wrong, that adds more gravity to the situation. Fast forward to the ending where again, things are going wrong and things are not going as planned. And there were so many moments of, um, me wanting to cheer in my, my seat, you know, like 
Cyborg, when he's in there and he's doing his thing with the mother boxes and how the mother boxes are creating this illusionary world and they're trying to like uh, you know, mess with his mind and saying how he's broken, you should come home and you won't be alone and how he's like, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. And, you know, it's at that, that moment that you realize his character has truly healed from his mental and emotional trauma, um, at least to a point where it's like, he's he's really like on point or he's he's just accepted who he is in his life yeah like exactly there, there's this level of acceptance that has gone on and that's a big deal because throughout the the, the entirety of the four hours you are are rooting for him you want him to get to that point and it's at that moment that he's able to do so another example is even with barry where like barry gets shot like what you said and I mean, it looked like it hurts so bad too. Like, like just the, the acting and, and the way it looked and everything. I mean, I was even in my, my couch, I was like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, Ooh. <laughs> ah. And I was wondering how is he going to deal with that? Because that was not like some little dinky flesh wound like that. That's going to, I mean, that's going to mess with his ability to do his thing. Right. And even like missing his, his timing, right? Like, like, again, they had that breakdown of communications. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. And then all of a sudden they failed. They literally failed at the end of the movie and the world was just done. Like, I mean, if you notice, like, I mean, Superman got disintegrated and, and cyborg got, I mean, the whole place just went up. And that was when Barry realized he had to break his rule and he was an uncharted territory. And at that point, movie making magic. Cause at that point I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, what is happening next? I don't know where we're going, but this is awesome. This is why I watch a four hour long. I mean, you just, my hat goes off to Zack Snyder. I'm like, dude, that is how you tell a story. That is, that's why I got into comic books. Like you, you go through all these issues and you're trying to figure out like what's going on. You have all these like plot twists and turns and foreshadows and everything, you know, misdirection. It was fantastic. It was, it was really, really cool to see all that. Um, and, it, and even like when um, Steppenwolf was about to take out uh, cyborg with his ax and he even, he even says, you know, for dark side, and you see that axe get charged up and he goes down and then just right at the last second, like Superman just comes in and just, just boom. And you're just like, <gasps> yeah, you know, and you see Superman go in and, and just lay waste to him. Um, and, and, it's, and again, I'm a Batman fan, right? Like, I mean, I, I like me some Superman too. Don't get me wrong. But like, there's just those moments where like when Superman is like in the zone and he's there to save that effing day, like you can't help it, man. You're just like, get them. You know, you're just like, you, you want that justice to be served. <laughs> Suckers got served. Um, one of the other things too, that we didn't even talk about was like the whole, like finish him sequence where like 
totally satisfying where Aquaman like skewers Steppenwolf from that behind. That was so freaking awesome. And like hoisting him up in the air like that. Superman goes up and decks him off the trident. And then Wonder Woman does this like backflip thing as his body is going toward the portal toward Darkseid and freaking cuts his head off before it reaches Darkseid's foot. And then Darkseid, because he's like totally just this cruel and horrible being, he like crushes his head. <laughs> I mean, just like what a difference it makes when you you compare the two films. I and 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 I mean, there are a few people here and there I've seen on social media who say that they just didn't care for the film and they don't they couldn't relate to the character. I mean, those people. I'm sorry, you weren't smoking crack because. You either haven't seen the first film at all or you're trying to be edgy and get attention or something because there is like, I mean, again, this film is by no means perfect. It's not a perfect film. There were flaws in it. Totally own up to that. But you cannot sit there and tell me how it was like a waste of your time to watch this movie and you don't understand what the big deal is or anything else like that. And this is coming from someone who was critical of the first version of this film and also had concerns about whether or not Zack Snyder could deliver the goods as it applies to the mechanics of storytelling because he tends to get wrapped up more in the visual flair of things. And he brought the goods. Um, however, I'm with you. You know, when it comes to the Batman situation, that was... You know, it was a bummer for me. Like I just, I couldn't get behind it. I thought that it was just, it, it should have been someone else. Um, it would have been cool to bring in Robert Patterson since he's already making his own movie. <laughs> just saying. I'm very curious to see what happens as a result of this, because you know, the Warner brothers being counters and the executives, they're like, like they're paying attention. They want to see what kind of reception this film gets. And to my knowledge, I mean, like most of the people who I have talked to or who I've seen on social media, they're just like us. I mean, they really like this movie. And I don't know if Zach has more in the tank that if, if Warner Brothers were to approach him and say, we want you to continue going down this path, make it like a Justice League sequel or something like that, if he'd be willing to do it or not. But in my opinion, I think that he can walk away from this with his he his head held up high. He can be proud of the work that he put into this because he's single. I mean, the guy, he really did save this film from being a disaster, a, a complete disaster. Totally. So <laughs> the death of DC. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, there, there, there's just, there's so much more that I could, I could talk about. And it's, it, again, it all gets chalked up to a very good thing. I mean, I'm so relieved. I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I mean, I've already seen the movie twice. This is a four hour movie and I've already seen it twice. I'm ready to watch it a third time. Like it's, it's so nice to be able to put on a movie that is a comic book film and does it right. Um, when it comes to my rating, I think I'm going to give it. I think I'm going to stand by four stars. 
four stars is what I'm going to give it. And again, I was the, the initial theatrical version, I gave it 2.5. It's now at a four. Um, I think if, again, if some of those other, like little, just other little things would have been changed up or whatever, this would have been a five-star movie. Um, and I think there are plenty of people out there who do feel like this is a five-star movie and that's totally cool too. That's, you know, hats off to, uh, to you guys. But anyway, I think it, it's, uh, worth noting that we have been talking now for over two hours. We're actually approaching the timeline that could have been the justice league time slot. My butt's aching in this chair. <laughs> I can't feel mine at all. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it financially helps us continue doing the show itself. Also, you can do a search for us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least... Do a search on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live at twitch.tv slash joygasm. And you can see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week. <laughs>